well, as I mentioned, this is, a, this is that weird time of year where it feels like everything is kind of switching to something else, where, you know, it's springtime, moving into summer, all the graduations, schools ending. Uh, we're clicking from nose to the grindstone to a lot of us doing vacations over the summer. And so um, what a perfect time just to be together and be reminded that God is, is with us through it all. We're starting a new series for the summer out of 1 Peter called The Good Life. The Good Life. There's so much in this book of the Bible. It's actually a letter that was written to Christians more than 2,000 years ago. And there's so much in how we as individual followers of Christ, uh, for us, but also as a family of Christ, relate to the world that we live in. And I've preached from 1 Peter a couple different times for different reasons, you know, uh, a message or two here and there. Uh, a couple of years ago, we offered First Peter as a Bible study on Sunday morning. And uh, as our kind of preaching team, which includes myself and Angela and Phil Manili and also Matt Randalls, we, we meet periodically and we're talking about the summer. And we just decided, you know, we just need to, th there is so much in this letter that fits where we are as people and where the world is around us right now. Let's preach through this. And so we're going to kind of combine all of our past efforts and new efforts here for the summer. I'm really excited for it. And I've grown to really appreciate the message of 1 Peter. A couple years ago when we were doing the, the Bible study on Sunday mornings, Lindsay Watson, who was one of our pastors at the time, she told me that, that this is like the most popular letter or, or biblical book in the world. And I was like, What? Because I'm thinking uh, it, it didn't hit the radar, at least for me. And I looked it up. In the United States, First Peter doesn't even crack the top ten. You know, when they ask groups of Christians, like, what are your top favorite, you know, books of the Bible? First Peter doesn't, doesn't, even, doesn't even make the top ten. But in countries where being a Christian is difficult and not culturally or, or even um, legal, anywhere that Christians face scrutiny, isolation, First Peter at the top of the list. And so this was written by Peter, the same Peter who Jesus called to leave his nets and follow him. The same Peter who willingly stepped out of a boat to try and walk on water. The same Peter who swung his sword, cutting off a person's ear while Jesus was being arrested. The Peter who denied even knowing Jesus three times. I like Peter a lot. I've mentioned this uh, many times before. He's like the action hero of the 12 apostles. Even after he started following Jesus, you know, he was, he was kind of a total mess. Amen. He got some big things wrong, but he also got major things right. He was among the first to recognize Jesus for who he truly was, his Lord, his Savior, Peter uh, was given the name by Jesus that means Peter. We forget that his original name was Simon. But Peter, Cephas, means the rock on whom Jesus said he would build his church. Peter would eventually be killed, crucified. Uh, tradition says upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. Don't know if that happened or not. But he would eventually die for his faith in Jesus. And it may not be long after he wrote this letter. 
And so I like Peter. He gives me hope. He gives me hope that Jesus isn't as concerned with where we start off in our lives as he is with how we finish. And so Peter would tell you that the life we can experience because of our faith in Jesus is the good life. And the good life is what everyone wants, isn't it? How do you find the good life? How do you get it? How do you live it? When I first mentioned this name, it triggered an association in my mind uh, with a TV show on NBC a couple years ago called The Good Place. Some of you may have seen that. I, I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen several episodes, uh, but very enjoyable, very funny, very creative concept. And The Good Life, uh, if you live the good life, you end up in the good place, which sounds really easy, right? The main character in this show was named Eleanor, and it was played by Kristen Bell. And the kind of premise is that she wakes up and realizes that she's, she's died. And um, thanks to her selfless life, she's being granted eternity in this very idyllic neighborhood called The Good Place. And immediately, when people from Snoqualmie Valley see this show, I just guarantee that they go, oh, that's Snoqualmie Ridge. <laughs> I mean, it like, looks the same. It's like, oh, it's the good place. And uh, the joke, though, isn't, uh, the joke really is that uh, on her, in that she realizes it's kind of just the opposite. This neighborhood isn't really a good place, and she hadn't really been a selfless person in real life. And it's a comedy in a tragic sort of way, but also meditates on the question, what does it mean to be a good person? Because in our mind, we think, well, if I just be a good person, lead a good life, I'll end up in the good place. That's how it works, doesn't it? Well, maybe, except there's just one problem. Let's call it my life, right? My life doesn't necessarily look like that. You know, when you're in high school and you're starting out or you're in college, uh, you have the rest of your life to look forward to. There's this big time horizon out in front of you, and in your 20s and 30s, your, uh, you know, your big dreams starts to take shape. Um, and yet, day to day, we ride this roller coaster. Happy times, sad times, uh, times of contentment, times filled with anxiety. And then you get to somewhere in the middle. And you start asking the question, is this what I really wanted? Is this how I saw my life turning out? And you more fully recognize there are a lot of things in life that I have absolutely no control over whatsoever. And they kind of have a dramatic impact on me. They have a dramatic impact on my life, my career, my marriage, my family, my friends. Is this really what I thought it would look like? You know, I love the line from Dumb and Dumber where Lloyd and Harry are trying to decide whether to leave their jobs and head west. And Lloyd finds, I know this is, some of you, is, this movie is older than you are. Um, all the more reasons to watch it, right? I haven't seen it in a while, so don't do that. Um, but there's this line where they, Larry finds his, uh, or Lloyd finds his parakeet dead. And he's just like, it's the last straw. Even our pet's heads are falling off. And I, I think about that, when, like midlife is like that. You're just like, I, I, some crazy things happen. You're just like, that's just it. I can't believe this. Like nothing seems to be going my way. When you experience prolonged, 
disappointment or frustration or even worse, it's in those moments that it's really, really, really easy to lose hope, for hope to fade, for hope to fail, for it to just be gone and non-existent from your life. In fact, that's where Peter starts his letter. Way back in the first century, 2,000 years ago to a bunch of Christians who've just experienced one continuous setback after another. They're starting to lose hope. Hope is the one commodity all of us need. But it seems to be in real short supply. I mean, where do you find it? Our lives are filled with frustration and setbacks, worry and anxiety. They're filled with disappointments and suffering. I mean, even routine and boredom sometimes is difficult. But those are the moments we need hope the most. You know, every spring, about this time after we wrap up our Team World Vision or our World Vision Global 6K, people running the marathons, I, I, shake, my, I shake my head and I, I wonder, like, how does this happen again? Year after year after year, how do so many people sign up? How do they raise so much money for clean water? How do so many people actually run 13 miles? Maybe that is more of a question of why do they run 13 miles? And then they do it again the next year. They do it again the next year. It's all for the sake of people halfway around the world. And I've, I've, I've started hearing about the training regimen um, that some of you have figured out. You've got this dialed in. You like know the, the, the bare minimum that you need to do to get the job done, which is so impressive. But when you first start getting into shape, it's really hard to find motivation because honestly, it just hurts. When you finish your workout, it hurts, right? And then this magic starts to happen like the more and more you get into shape and, and the more frequently you train, like it starts to feel good. You get these endorphins that run through your body. Um, your body, sometimes your body starts changing in a really good way. Um, and I, I grew up running and doing track, and I was more of the sprinting variety rather than the long distance. And so whenever I ran long distance, when I finished, I was just really glad that it was done, okay? And there's something to that <laughs> that applies to faith. That whole idea of thinking about the finish. When you're halfway through and you don't think you can take another step, what gets you to the end? It's thinking about the finish. Like, oh yeah, that does feel good. There is a sense of accomplishment. I, 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 I can just feel relieved that it's all over. Thinking about the finish carries us through. And so I want to encourage you this morning to remember that Jesus doesn't care as much about where we start as he does about how we finish. And when you feel stuck, stuck somewhere in the middle, don't lose hope. Hope is what gets you through. It's that thing that makes you put one foot in front of the other. It helps us keep going. And finding hope happens when we keep our eyes focused on where we're going. So as Peter begins his letter, to Christians 2,000 years ago, he urges followers of Jesus to do just that. Let me read for you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Those have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, in the original language, that whole passage is one gigantic run-on sentence. So it's okay if you read that and feel like you have to gulp air halfway through. It's almost like Peter just can't wait to, like, he just has so much to say and so many ways to encourage them to keep on going. So I want to ask, how long has it been? since you've held a newborn. What I mean by newborn, I mean it could be anything. It could be an infant, a a baby, uh, maybe it's a puppy or a kitten, whatever. I I grew up on a farm and I'm I'm not afraid to show, um, I don't know, gratuitous, cute pictures, right, on Sunday mornings. I wanna show you, at our house, we have two new kittens. And uh, they kind of don't look like kittens now because they're not. They're more like adolescents, and they kind of drive us crazy. But earlier this spring, we got two new kittens. And I was reminded at just how amazing and how cute newborn anything is. And uh, I would have to say that kittens on a farm are a close second to another animal that is even cuter. Did you guess? Pigs. Believe it or not. When they start off life, they are about the cutest things you've ever laid eyes on. But whatever it may be, there's nothing like holding precious new life. Peter wants us to marvel, to remember that experience, the miracle of life. When he says in verses 3 and 4, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The Apostle Peter is pointing back to this remarkable person, Jesus, and this remarkable event, the, new, or the remarkable event being raised to new life, the resurrection, and through it, God has granted us a remarkable gift. It's new birth into a living hope. If you stop and think about that phrase for a moment, it kind of makes no sense. I mean, new birth, you're only born once. And living hope as opposed to what? Dead hope? Decaying hope? That's no hope at all. It's a contrast between life without Christ and life within Christ. And when you surrender to Jesus and make him the leader of your life, it's like new 
birth into a living hope. It's a miracle. It's good news. As God's people, the living hope that he's promised us is many. I mean, there's things like salvation. God has promised us righteousness. He's promised us resurrection. He's promised us eternal life with him. He's promised to conform us into Christ's likeness. And he's also promised that Jesus will return someday and set this world straight. Now recognize that all of that sounds really great. But it's also a long way off. At least I kind of hope that it is. Salvation, righteousness, resurrection, eternal life, being conformed to Christ's likeness. Well, maybe that's, hopefully that's happening now. Knowing that Jesus is going to come back someday and fix our broken world. But what about now? You see, Peter wants his readers both 2,000 years ago and you and me today to look ahead. Look ahead towards the finish. This is where we're going. This is where we're headed. And it's worth it. You can do this. There's an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, meaning it's going to be there no matter how long you have to wait. And guess who gets inheritances? Children do. The heirs. You see, you and I have been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus. We're children of God. And his faith shields us. He shields us by his own power until our salvation comes. You see, this is Peter's way of reassuring people like us that no matter what we go through, no matter the trials we face, no matter how hard it seems, even when we stub our toe or take missteps, we can return to him because there's hope in how this all turns out and how we turn out. God is with us. Even though we suffer all kinds of grief, Peter's saying, because of our faith, because of our faith, we know it's going to be worth it. We know it's going to be worth it. You see, living hope isn't just wishful thinking. that something may or may not happen. Living hope is happening now. It's alive in us. Because God's given us the gift, a deposit actually, of the Holy Spirit. This is not insignificant. It's good news. And even yet, the best is still to come. You know, there's a, a, a pastor, Ray Johnson, Bayside Covenant in the Sacramento area. He talks often about hope and its presence or non-presence in your life. And he uses this, this phrase. I've mentioned this before. He calls it a hope quotient. And if it's been a long time since you've had math, you know, a quotient is there's something over something. So it's, you know, it's like your hope over, you know, all of the despair, disappointment, frustration, whatever it is in your life. Like there's this ratio happening. And so what Raja does is he, he encourages people to put a number on your hope quotient. You know, if one is like total despair and 10 is expectant joy, where would you be this morning? Where would you be? Put a number on it. Where would you be this morning? Where would you be this week? Because sometimes it's different. You wake up some days and it's, the hope quotient's a little lower. Other days it's higher. What about the last six months, the last year? Where would that number be? 
And often uh, with these sorts of exercises, you have to throw out the number five, okay? Which side are you on? Are you on the more hopeful side? Or are you on the less hopeful side? Well, hopefulness, or I'm sorry, hopelessness, seems like it's an epidemic these days. But I think it may be more of our just human condition. I don't know that hope exactly floats. Maybe it's more accurate to say that hope leaks. At least that's the way it feels with me. I, I was having a conversation a couple years ago with a person who does a lot of work with uh, clients or with people who are uh, trapped in drug addiction, suffering homelessness. And uh, one of the first things as I was talking to them, they said they recognized was how hopeless so many of their clients felt. They believed that their life didn't matter, um, that the choices they made didn't matter. It drove so many of their choices, which we would all look at and go, oh, that's just so self-destructive. But it was coming from this place of just total hopelessness. And as I was talking with this person, um, she made this point. She's like, you know, I didn't really recognize the contrast or the difference until I went through this really rough patch in my own life, uh, full of lots of disappointment and pain. She would have said at that time, you know, my hope quotient was really, really, really low. But there was this enormous difference that she noticed between her experience of this and the people that she was working with. She said her hope in Christ made all the difference. She knew that this would just be a season, not something that lasted forever. That phrase, even though now for a little while you may suffer grief in all kinds of trials. When you have a relationship with Christ, the deposit of the Holy Spirit inside of you, our Heavenly Father who loves us and is pleased with us, we know that God is with us. And what we wait for, even though we may be in a really difficult time, it's going to be worth it. So when your hope quotient falls and seems like even as we put our hope in you. And so I want to close this morning by going back to the beginning. The first couple verses there, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Remember, as we begin this journey through 1 Peter, as we start off our hopefully summer season of beautiful dry weather, maybe sometime this next week, or whatever it is you may be facing this morning. Remember, God cares more for how you finish than how you started. There's a hope that can only be experienced in a relationship with Jesus. And when we feel stuck, trudging through daily life, we can look forward to how this all ends. We can put our hope in him. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thanks for this morning, for this day that you've given to us, for this week ahead. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who kind of feel hopeless, because when you think about the week ahead, 
it doesn't necessarily bring good thoughts. A lot of times it brings anxiety or dread. And so for those of us here this morning that feel that dread, won't your Holy Spirit come over us? Won't you help us to receive your comfort, your mercy, your grace, your hope that can be alive and in us, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on how this all ends. Lord, it's going to be worth it. Being faithful is worth it. You are so faithful to us. And so help us as we move forward this next week, putting one foot in front of the other to have hope in you. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me invite Danny forward and our worship team, and we'll sing our closing song together.